been reading Jeremiah in my own reading plan this last while and thinking about exile and what it means to live in exile and what we can learn from from Jeremiah. So that's what we're going to think about this morning. We're roughly in chapter 28, 29. If you have a Bible or if you have an app on your phone, it'll be good to, to, to have a look at it. Most of the verses will be on the screen, but I'm going to stay around about chapter 28, chapter 29 of, of Jeremiah. Uh, just as well, um, one more uh, announcement is that the, the trustees uh, are looking into some giving. Um, we would like to give with some urgency to help in Ukraine. Um, if anyone, we do have one or two sort of indirect contact contacts. Uh, the situation changes every day in terms of how you can actually electronically get money, what what or send money, what options are available. Uh, but if there's anyone you know, we do we are aware of a missionary family, and we do have a good connection through drop-in ministries who would have quite a lot of contacts in in the area as well. Uh, we will let you know when we give and what we give, but it is it is a priority at the minute. Uh, but if you if you happen to know anyone, uh, please make us aware of it. Jeremiah. 28, we'll get to in a minute. One of the most important contexts or, or concepts in your Bible is the concept of exile. And it is something that a lot of Christians aren't really that familiar with uh, because it, it happens in, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah's time, Isaiah's time, Ezekiel's time, Ezra, Nehemiah, returning from exile. It's, it's in some books that aren't particularly easy to read. They're not the sort of go-to book whenever you lift your Bible and you want to read something. Um, and therefore, the, the whole idea of the exile is something that we're not that familiar with. But it's really important to understand. Um, I'm not going to do the whole history of the exile. That's a lecture. It's really interesting. It's not for Sunday morning unless I'm trying to get you all snoozing very, very quickly. Um, But I want you to understand that Jesus came into the context of a people who still felt they were living in exile. The exile happened about um, 580, 590 BC, in around that time. It involved God's people being driven away from Jerusalem to Babylon, and they were there for 70 years, exiled, banished from their own land. And even though they came back to their own land, from that time on, they were always under the oppression of of foreign powers. Rome and Medo-Persia and the Greeks, they were never free. They were never governed by themselves. And, And when Jesus came and he proclaimed the kingdom of God has come, God's rulership, God's reign, God's kingdom in the lives of his people, that he was saying the exile, even though you're physically back in Jerusalem, spiritually the exile is now coming to an end with Jesus coming to his people. So this is a really important concept. What, what does exile actually mean? Well, here is the greatest smile in the theological world. This is Eugene Peterson, um, who, who passed away, I guess, a couple of years ago. Um, Wonderful. If you've never listened to his voice, go and look him up online. He's got this John Wayne gravelly, rough voice. Uh, he's class. He's the guy who, who did the message, paraphrase of the Bible, and he's just brilliant. 
And he, he basically said, here's what exile is. You are where you don't want to be and you are with people you don't want to be with. Now, we're not in exile here <laughs> on a Sunday morning, I hope. <laughs> I really hope. We may live as strangers in the world and we feel a sense of exile in the world that we live in. But we're not, when we come together as the people of God, it's, it's like we're in a break from exile. We're getting a taste of the future and a taste of, of heaven. It started back in Eden. I wonder, should we turn that wee heater off at the, at the far door? Um, it's probably warm enough. Is it warm enough? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it started in Eden. The very first exile was Adam and Eve. They were told... Uh, in, in Genesis 3.23, they were, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. And, a, and an angel was put on the gates, cherubim with swords put on the gates of the garden to stop them from coming back in to access the tree of life. That's the first exile. Abraham, in a way, was exiled from his home and he was driven away to a different land in order to pursue what God was calling him to. And this exile that, that we're thinking about, that Jeremiah wrote into, as I said, was about 587, 590 BC, and the people were driven out of the land. Now, one of the most important things for the people of God was the land, the promised land. All right, that, That's what they were told, that's what they were going to uh, inherit, that's where they were going to live, and to be taken away from the land was a really severe thing, to be taken 800 miles away into this place called Babylon. It happened because they were into idolatry. It happened because they were not observing the Sabbath and they were driven away. And that happens to us an awful lot in life. We are driven away from what is familiar. You get used to a certain set of circumstances and then change comes. And change usually does not consult you before it comes, you know. Uh, it doesn't usually ask your permission to come and turn your life upside down for a month or two or a year or two or whatever. And you find yourself exiled. It might be by bereavement. It might be by illness. It might be by a job loss. It might be a relationship breakdown or even a divorce. But something happens and suddenly you are in exile because you are where you don't want to be. You're where you don't want to be. You have an ideal in your mind of what you want life to be like, but circumstances have conspired to just throw you into a bit of a head spin and you're not where you want to be. And one of the, one of the really challenging things about exile experiences that we have in life is that you are constantly adapting to change. I found during the, the two lockdowns and the pandemic that when, when we were sort of, and everyone probably will be able to relate to this, your job changed overnight. You still had to achieve the same end result, but everything you did to get there was different. And, and one of the things I would have said if people asked me how I was getting on during lockdown with, with trying to teach a group of children that were not in the room with you, um, the, the thing that I would have said, I'm tired of adapting adaptation knackers me it's like i need to to get to where i normally am but i can't do any of the things i normally do i normally would do this i'm going to have to do it this way i normally would do that i'm going to have to find a different way and that adapting to change is really really tiring 
And that's what happens to us when we're in exile. We are changing and adapting and getting used to how circumstances around us have changed. We're not where we want to be. And one of the dangers in exile is that we pine for something. We long to be somewhere else. Maybe where we have come from, we look back and say, I want to be back where I was a certain time ago. Or maybe we have this vision out in the future of what life would be like, the perfect life. And it's not maybe a selfish thing. I'm not talking about people who just want to have, you know, lavish you know, cars and houses and, and, and consumeristic. I'm, I'm talking about just the, the normal things that normal people want in life and don't have. And a sense of looking to the future and thinking, if only I had that. And we start to pine for the future. We're in a place of exile, but we're longing and pining for something else. And they actually wrote a song about it, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. We were in exile and we thought about home. We thought about where we wanted to be and we just wept about our position and where we were. And in the exile, what the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did, he was a sharp sort of a fella, he took all the smart people from Jerusalem. I don't know how he tested them or sussed it out, but he took all the gifted people, all the promising people, the artisans and the craftsmen and women and the, the intelligent people, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were four really gifted young Hebrew men, and he took them to develop them to lead in his kingdom in Babylon, and he effectively left Jerusalem without any leadership without the, the sort of the cream of the crop who could guide and, and help the city through this time. He took them all and he brainwashed them into the Babylonian lifestyle, or he tried to. But there's one guy that he left behind in Jerusalem that he really should have brought with him. And the guy that he left behind was called Jeremiah. Jeremiah was ignored by his people. His is one of the saddest stories. They just hated him. Because he did not prophesy to them the things that they wanted to hear. And he was ignored by his people. He was ignored so much so that when Nebuchadnezzar decided to take all the influential people out of Jerusalem and move them to Babylon, he didn't bring Jeremiah. He probably looked at him and thought, nobody listens to this guy, I'll leave him here. (laughs) And poor Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem and he was prophesying God's word to the exiles who were in Babylon. And I think he's got a few things to teach us about about how to live in exile. Whether that is you going through a situation that you don't want to be in and you long for something better, how do you live in that situation? Because the longing can destroy you. The pining for something can, can, can cripple you in the context that you're in. How do you live in exile? Maybe then on on a larger scale, you can think of the pandemic, a sort of exile. We go through them corporately and we go through them individually. One of the things that we need to do in exile is be careful who you listen to. I'm going to start in Jeremiah 28 and then we will go into Jeremiah 29 into some familiar 
territory and, and you're going to get the big banger verse Jeremiah 29 11 that everybody has printed on their mugs and t-shirts and, and tattooed all over the place but you're going to get there in context so we're, we're heading that way you know God's <clears throat> great promise that he has a future for his people he has plans for his people and he's got hope for his people but we're going to get there in the context of what's going on Jeremiah 28 there is another prophet and he's called Hananiah and he's a bad egg He does not hear God. And what he does is he will go and he'll prophesy to people what they want to hear. This is one of the dangers of being in exile and longing for something else. So contextualize this whatever way you need to, to your own situation if you're in one. Just realized. I like having my wee lights on. Yeah, put put it in your own situation and in your own context. What is the thing that is completely healthy and normal and fine that you long for that right now you don't, you don't have? Or, or the circumstance or the change of job or whatever it is. Something that, that you look out to as, as a pipe dream in the future and you don't currently have it. What, what you now are is you're vulnerable to false prophets. You're vulnerable to people coming along and telling you what they know you want to hear. Because then it makes them popular. And Hananiah was one of these false prophets. And he came along and he said to the people who were going into Babylon, into captivity, he comes and says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And you just hear all the people cheering. Yeah, amen. You do that. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Lies. All of it. Hananiah is prophesying lies. He has made it up. Because by saying this, he's gained popularity and the people listen to him and think, isn't he awesome? If Hananiah was, was in our context, he would be moving from church to church and town to town and he would be super popular and he'd be wrecking people's lives by standing and saying careless things to them in their brokenness and in their exile. That's the sort of person he was. He said within two years. So it's all okay, folks. It's all grand. This difficult time that you're going through, it's going to be really short going to be really short that person Nebuchadnezzar who's oppressing you he's gone in no time and everybody's like "Woo, it's fantastic but it's not true these guys made their living from just taking advantage of people's desires trampling all over them in their in their pain and in their longing and their false dreams were destructive Jeremiah responds and he responds with biting sarcasm I just love it Love a wee bit of sarcasm. <laughs> you keep telling your children not to use sarcasm, you know, but uh, it's sometimes rather effective. Jeremiah says to, after he hears Hananiah, Jeremiah's like, yeah, amen, brother, you preach it. That's awesome. May the Lord do what you're saying. May he fulfill the words you have, or the words you have prophesied. But he's just total sarcasm. And Jeremiah says to him, The prophet who prophesies peace, this is 28 and verse 9. The prophet who prophesies peace 
will be recognized as truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. You see, the problem with people who travel from place to place and trample all over people's lives and dreams and exile experiences and say careless things, they disappear and leave a trail of brokenness behind them and they can't be held accountable for what they've said. Jeremiah says, you will only be recognized as sent by God if what you said comes to pass. I have heard some careless things said over people. Reckless things. And in the Old Testament, when you did that, you met a bad end. (laughs) And Hananiah is going to meet a bad end. Jeremiah says to him, listen, mate, the Lord has not sent you. And you have persuaded this people to trust in lies. You have come into their exile and you have told them things that are not true. And as you read on in chapter 28, you find that Hananiah meets a grim end. A few months later, he is dead. Because that's what happened to false prophets. We need to be, you know, let's bring that into 21st century church. And let's be very, very careful about what we say to people. I want to see prophetic ministry. I believe it's a gift of the Spirit and I believe it's a powerful and life-changing thing, but it must be handled with tremendous responsibility and care. Jeremiah calls him out. And uh, whereas Hananiah said two years, that was his word to the people, Jeremiah says, no, actually 70 years. (laughs) Is it any wonder he wasn't popular? (laughs) Now, who are you going to invite to speak at your special Sunday night meeting? If Hananiah and Jeremiah are both available, who's going to get the call? (laughs) Jeremiah says, in reality, this is going to be a 70-year captivity. And it's really important when you are in an exile experience, for whatever reason, that you listen to people who bring the Word of God, that you read authors who bring the Word of God in podcasts or whatever it is that you nourish yourself with, that you listen to people who bring the Word of God rather than just what you maybe want to hear. Eugene Peterson again says, false dreams interfere with honest living. And what Jeremiah is going to tell us is how to live in exile. What Hananiah did was he gave the people false hopes, false dreams, told them things that were not true, and that affected then, or that would affect, how they would live in exile. And Jeremiah is concerned to say, no, this is going to last 70 years, and here's how you need to live. Because if you think it's only going to last two years, you won't give a monkey's about Babylon. You won't care about the culture around you. You'll just spend your entire life waiting to get out or you'll spend the next two years waiting to get out and you'll do nothing profitable in the meantime. You will just pine for a future that is a false hope and a false dream rather than living honestly and living well in the circumstances that you find yourself in. And I think we can learn a lot from what Jeremiah will go on to say. So 29, chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is Jeremiah now bringing a true word from God to counteract the silliness that Hananiah has been speaking. This is what God actually says. And in verse 5, the first thing that God says to the people is, build houses, settle down. 
you're going to be there for a long time. Don't bring your tent and your sleeping bag. Start building. Settle down in Babylon. That's the word of God. He doesn't say assimilate to the culture. He doesn't say become like the Babylonians around you. He doesn't say worship their gods or follow their practices. But he says the reality is this experience is going to continue for a while. Settle down and learn to live in it. Build houses. This is your home. Learn to live there. Don't sit around pining for Jerusalem. I sometimes find myself in in conversations in a professional context that are just going on for a wee bit too long. (laughs) And I'm trying to get away from the conversation because what I meant to be a one or two minute quick conversation is turning into five, six minutes. And I'm like, get back to class or I need to do something else. And, and I tend, I do this thing that's really ignorant. I stand with my hand on the door handle. <laughs> you know? and, and that's my, you know, gives me hope <laughs> that I'm going to actually get out of the room and go and get to do what, what other things I want to do. And uh, I, as I thought about that, I thought, so if, you, if you listen to Hananiah and you pine, you continually pine to get away from where you are and get somewhere else, you live your whole life with your hand on the door handle trying to get away from that situation that God has actually put you in. God put them into exile. God said 70 years. And if you just stand with your hand on the door handle, it destroys you. If you're constantly just itching to get on to the next thing, it's the thing that children do. When they're, they're just, no matter what they're doing, like, when, when's, this, when's this over and when are we doing the next thing? And then you get there, when are we doing the next thing? And we do, when, when are we doing it? And when are we getting dinner? And then when are we watching the film? And then when are we, you know, and it's just like, when are we doing this? When are we doing this? Always looking ahead and then reaching out to the next thing. It destroys you in, in the reality of life and the real pain of exile circumstances. That destroys you. And, and months go by and years go by and you're not, you're not living well because you're longing so much for, for whatever. And as I said before, the longing can be really good. These people were longing for Jerusalem. They were longing for the temple and for the presence of God. They weren't, it wasn't just selfish stuff. They were longing for things that human beings long for. But it was causing them to live in a way that was missing the present reality that God had put them in. Build houses. There's a permanence to this. Yes, it's 70 years. And I guess, strictly speaking, it is therefore temporary and it will end. But it's a long period. Settle down and learn how to live in the situation you are in. He says as well in the same verse, the next verse, plant gardens. And eat what they produce. Work. Be creative. Be productive. Contribute to the society around you. Don't just sit there like a parasite, you know, sucking the life out of Babylon. God says, you know, get, get to work. Do something in the meantime. Work hard. Some people spend so much of their lives looking forward to retirement. And then they retire and they're miserable. They're absolutely miserable because they don't find something in retirement to do that is productive and it gives them purpose because you're created to be creative. You are created to work. I want to sort of tell you something that you might initially disagree with. Work is not a bad thing. (laughs) Work is a good thing. 
The devil made it bad in the fall and God said to Adam, your work on the ground which you were doing before the fall and which was enjoyable is now going to become hard. There's now going to be thorns and thistles and weeds and all sorts of things and you're going to sweat and you're going to have a sore back and your your work is going to be hard. But that does not mean that work itself is a bad thing. When we were created to work and produce and we can take we can overdo that and become overproductive, but we were created to enjoy doing things. And God says via Jeremiah to the people, get to work. Don't just put your hand on the door handle and try to kill time for two years. Don't just sedate yourself. I think some some of us maybe have sedated ourselves in the pandemic. Some people I think have watched the entire internet. (laughs) You know, everything that's on it, past the time, just and are continuing to do so. And, And God would say, No, get to work. Get to work. Whatever you work at, do it well. Be productive. I don't know whether they sold their produce to the Babylonians or not. It doesn't, it doesn't say. It just says that you're to, to, to plant gardens and eat what they produce. I'm, I'm assuming they probably sold it as well. They probably made a bit of a living from it. It probably gave them some contact with the people around them, some, some, some business connections. But we're designed to work. Paul says to the Colossians in 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If you're in an exile situation, don't just quit everything and, and hunker down in a darkened room and hope that it passes. Be productive. Get, get to work. I love people who work to a high standard. I don't think workaholism is good. I don't think burning yourself out is good. But I love people who do stuff well, who do it better than it actually needs to be done because they take pride in it. We went out for, for, for dinner one night a couple of months ago and we bumped into a guy. We were at, at races in Points Pass and we bumped into a guy who I hadn't seen for a couple of years and he's, he's a contractor, he's a builder. And he sort of, he, he oversees the whole process from start to finish. And just talking to him about the houses that he built for people. And he, he said it himself, he said, I just love doing it well. I love seeing people smiling whenever they go in and they look round and they see the finished job. Took real pride in his work. Didn't just do a sort of a half-baked job to get it finished, but did it well. And in exile, work hard, work well, enjoy your work. Bless people with the standard of it. i never forget a conversation I had with an A-level student one time who was not working hard. <laughs> and that doesn't sit well with me. And I had a chat with him, and this is quite a while ago, but I can see him, I can see the look in his eye, I can remember exactly where the conversation took place. And I was chatting, saying, this is A-level chemistry, you need to work hard. And here's what he said to me. I don't need to work hard for my A-levels because I'm going to Bible college. And I thought, mate... <laughs> Just because you don't need the top grades to get in does not mean you don't need to have a work ethic (laughs) and actually put in a bit of hard graft. But for him, his attitude was, I'm going to Bible college, so I'm not going to work hard. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to end well at all. What else does Jeremiah say? He says that we need to build our important relationships and we need to increase. He goes on in verse, where are we? Verse six, marry Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Tend to important relationships. 
within the church, within family, tend to important relationships. There are times in life when you have to spend more time at that than at other times. Depends on, on, on just where you're at, where your parents are at, where your kids are at, if you have kids. It just depends on circumstances. But don't ever think that investing in those big, important, long-term relationships is a waste of time in exile or a distraction from some more important thing. No, Jeremiah says, tend to the important relationships in life. And it's something I try hard to do. And on a very simple level, this is what it looks like now. On a Saturday night from about 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I come out of the study and I sit with Samuel. We watch a movie or we do something together. Because that's an important relationship. And I'm not just going to leave it and let it hang while I burrow away with my books. In exile, tend to those important relationships, both within family and within the family of God. And it's interesting, those last two things about, about working in exile and about, you know, increasing, that's exactly the stuff God said in Genesis 1 and 2 to Adam and Eve. He says, you're going to work the land, you're going to tend to the garden, you're going to have dominion over the animals, you're going to work and you're going to be fruitful and multiply, you're going to increase. See, living in exile, this is important, living in exile does not change God's commission on our lives. Does not, we don't hit the pause button. God says to people, you're going to, you're going to work and you're going to have dominion. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to increase. Going into exile, that doesn't stop. It's not as if, okay, folks, take a break from work. You've had a hard time. Just sit around for a while. Don't bother trying to increase in numbers anymore because you're in exile. No. The commission stays the same even when the circumstances change. They are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which they've been carried in exile. That word peace is shalom. It's the Hebrew word that just sort of is this umbrella word over everything that is good. Health, healthy mind, healthy relationships, well-being, just it's everything good. It's the way the Hebrews would have greeted one another, shalom. They would have wished and and blessed each other with this desire for, for, for everything to be well. And, and Jeremiah gives the word of God to the people in exile and says, in your exile, don't just sit around and lick your wounds and feel sorry for yourself. I want you to bless Babylon. <laughs> I want you to bless Babylon. Don't look at them and think, these wicked, evil so-and-sos, I'm having nothing to do with them and I'm not going to do business with them. I'm not going to sell my vegetables to them and I'm not going to talk to them. He says, bless Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city where you're at. Don't try to overthrow it. Don't plot how you're going to escape. Bless it. Daniel was a blessing to Babylon. Joseph was a blessing to Egypt. Esther was a blessing to Persia. Jesus was a blessing to everyone. Don't just look around and say, oh, this is an awful bleak hole of a place. No. Seek the prosperity and the peace of the city. One of the ways you do that is pray for it. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. If Babylon does well, people, you will do well. If Tandragi does well, you will do well. If Portadown does well, you will do well. Seek the prosperity of the, the culture and the city that you find yourself in. Pray for it. And those who listened to Hananiah, they didn't do any of this stuff. 
If they bought into his ministry and his word and they didn't hear that God had dealt with him, they just spent their time with the door handle, or their hand on the door handle saying, two years and we're done, we're out of here. So just bunker down, stick it out, watch Netflix, you know, don't talk to those Babylonians and we'll be out of here in no time. They did nothing. They believed in lies and fantasies about a better place when God was trying to tell them, this is where you're at, you're going to be here for a while, here's how to live. Here's how to live in it. And a question I would ask is, is what are we doing that is for the shalom of the community around us? Now, I'm thinking obviously of the time, but I'm also thinking of the people I work with and the people you work with and your town and your neighborhood. What are we doing for the, for the shalom, for the well-being of the community? And I think this is an important question because I do think... Um, we, we are seeing a lot more freedom coming back to do things, to engage. We're not going to get you know, reckless and careless. We're going, we're going to respect and honor government and, and advice. But all the sort of, I guess, excuses, maybe not the right word, but all the reasons maybe over the last couple of years to step back, those, those reasons are gone. I, I really do think they're gone. Uh, I do agree that we need to learn how to live with this thing and we do have to make adjustments for it, but we can no longer hide. What are we doing that is for the shalom of the community around us? We used to do a lot more. A lot of things stopped, had to stop, that's fine. And now we've got to, to think, what are we doing? Because God's word to us is to seek the peace and the prosperity of the town that we're in. To bring shalom, to bring well-being to people's lives. And I'm just going to say that right now I don't feel we're really doing it that much. And I want us to start to rise up again in prayer and in ideas and in action. Not the activity that burns people out. I don't like that. And one of the things about the culture we live in, the world we live in, every one of us is busy. And that is just reality. It's a different world from it was a few decades ago. You still have people, you know, sometimes going around saying that the man should earn all the money and the woman should stay at home. Well, let's see how that works out. If you want to live in a shed, that might work. But for most people, we've got two adults in the house who are both working and both have to work. People are busy. Life is busy. So we're not, we're not trying to, to get to a place of burnout, but we have to address this question. We are, we are exiles, all right? As a church, every Christian, we are exiles, our home is with King Jesus whenever that happens. So throughout our lives, there is, there's, there's personal exile experiences we go through, but the church as a whole experiences exile on the earth because our citizenship is in heaven. We always are longing. We've learned to recognize that our, the longing of our hearts is a longing for God and a longing for Jesus, not just a longing for stuff. And the question is then, in this exile life that we live from birth to death, what are we doing to bring well-being and shalom to the spheres of influence that we are in? And do we need to start putting our heads together again, putting our heads down in prayer again, and, and actually seeking God and saying, right, Lord, the last couple of years have passed. It feels like we're ready to come out of the cave again for a while. What do we do? What do we do that'll bring well-being and bring health? I would love to make some promises to, to this town. 
to my workplace, to your workplace, to your neighborhood. And, and the promises that I think the church, the exiles, should be making to Babylon are these. We will show you what community looks like. Come and see it. Come and see it at a meal. Come and see it on a Sunday morning. Come and see it whatever. We will show you what love looks like. Come see a group of people that don't run each other down, that don't backbite, that honor one another, as we've talked about this last few weeks. We will show you what forgiveness looks like. Whenever we mess up and, and we forgive one, we'll show you what that looks like. We'll show you what wisdom for living looks like. When you don't know what to do, we will show you what God's wisdom for living looks like. We'll show you what Jesus looks like. That's the sort of stuff that, that needs to be exhibited in the community, exhibited in Babylon. How can we bring well-being to the community that we are in? How do we get alongside those who are lonely? How do we help strained relationships? How do we help people who can't get work and need, need a wee bit of work experience? Have we started to look inwards too much? How much of what we do, lots of questions here, aren't you? How much of what we do is about us? And there's a time and a place for discipleship and teaching and learning and growing together. But how much, what proportion of what we do is just about us? And what proportion of it is about bringing shalom, well-being to the community? Whenever Whenever the Jews left Babylon, Ezra records that there was a decree given in Ezra 1 verse 4. And the decree was this. In any region or locality where there are survivors, exiles who are about to go back to Jerusalem, in any locality where there are exiles about to go back, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings. So the, the king, I think it was Cyrus, basically gives a decree to his people. You see those exiles that have been living among you for 70 years? Give them some money. Give them some of your livestock. Give them goods and bless them as they go back to Jerusalem. Now that tells me that for 70 years, a lot of those people lived well in Babylon. They built relationships. They blessed the community around them. And I can, I can picture, not everybody probably did, but I can picture that as they were leaving, I can actually picture that some of those people were weeping, saying, you guys have been awesome. <laughs> you guys have shown us incredible things. Here's some money to help with building your temple. Here's a few other things that you might need. We've loved having you here. You, you learned how to live well in exile. We're going to miss you. And they blessed them. And I think a good barometer of, and, and this, this stings for me a wee bit, but a good barometer of, uh, of, of how we are doing is, would the town miss us if we were gone? And I would have to say at the minute, I don't. Would the town miss us if we were gone? Would they say, where are those people who showed us what community looks like? Where are those people who showed us what forgiveness looks like? Would they be phoning Stephen Nolan and saying, there's a wee community in our town and they, and they blessed us for a season and they've gone. Get them back. You know? Or would they not even notice? We've got to rise up, church. Seriously, we've got to start looking out for the shalom of the community once again. Some choices as I close. Just some questions. I got these from, from Eugene Peterson. You know, will, will we live on the basis of what we have and where we are, or will we destroy ourselves pining for something else? Are we content to say, this is where we're at, 
let's get busy living the way Jeremiah told us. Or will we just sit back and say, whenever this happens, when I get to this stage, when I get to that stage, you know, when I do this, when I do that, when I get here, when I get there, and you know what? All of a sudden you look back and think, my goodness, my life is gone. And I've wasted years pining for something instead of just getting busy and living well in the context that I'm in. He says to them, stop sitting around feeling sorry for yourselves. Your aim is not to live as comfortably as possible. Your aim is to live well where you are. Discover truth, create beauty, act out of love. And a decision has got to be made. Will I focus my attention on what is wrong and feel sorry for myself Or will I focus my energy on how I can live well in the place where I'm at? Do you know what? If your eyes are open, you will find God in exile like you've never found him anywhere else. It's ironic. They were driven away from the temple, away from the presence of God, and they were driven into exile. And in that place, there was an invitation given, come and search for me. Listen to what Ezekiel writes. I think this is one of the most powerful things. It's right at the very start. It's not Ezra 1.4. It says that on the screen. It's Ezekiel 1.1. And it's absolutely class. In the 30th year, so he was 30 years old, fourth month on the fifth day, while I was in church. No. (laughs) While I was at the temple in Jerusalem. No. While I was at a class praise event and all God's people were there. No. While I was among the exiles. (laughs) In Babylon, sat by the Kibar River, I was among the exiles and I saw visions of God. That's what happens when a man or a woman or a young person accepts where they're at. Instead of pining for something, accepts where they're at and begins to search for God in that place. And God was revealed to them in exile in a powerful way. I saw visions of God while I was in exile. And Jeremiah writes of the future. With this we close. He writes of the future in, in, in 29, Jeremiah 29. This is what's going to happen. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. One of the most powerful verses in Scripture, one of the most misused and abused verses of Scripture. That verse applies to people who have accepted exile and learned how to live in it in a way that pleases God. It is not just some wee giddy thing you hang over your door. (laughs) Sorry. If you have it over your door, bless you. It's God's word. It's good to have it over your door. But understand it in context. This is for us if we are seeking the well-being of the community around us. This is for us if we have realized that we can't have everything we want and we will settle and live well in the context that we are in. This is for us if we pray for the city and pray for the shalom of the city. This is for us who work hard and contribute That's who it's for. Not for those who deny exile and wish it would end as soon as possible, but for those who would say, this is where we're at and we're going to live well. That's who that promise is for. Jeremiah goes on to say, or God's word to them is, you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Whenever you get into exile, a search begins for God. 
You can find him in exile. You don't have to get back to the temple to find God. Look for him in exile and you will maybe see him revealed like never, ever before. While they were in exile, <clears throat> they actually wrote out the scriptures. They're like, we have nothing to do. <laughs> you know, we have nothing to do. Somebody get a pen and let's start writing out the Bible. And they wrote out the scriptures and they copied them and they put them together. And they found that God was not dependent on being in Jerusalem. God could work anywhere. He could work in Egypt. He could work anywhere. (laughs) He didn't have to be in Jerusalem to work. And they didn't become assimilated to the culture around them. Instead of thinking that their circumstances were pushing them away from God, they realized, hang on, no, our circumstances are actually drawing us closer to God. And we're not going to run away from the place that God has brought us to in order to find him. So I think we all experience exile, every one of us. You're maybe in it right now and you maybe have some circumstance and you know exactly how this feels, exactly how it feels. And you might have been there for years and you don't know how long it'll last. And I want to say to you that the thing that you long for is not a bad thing and I do not want you to feel any, anything negative about longing for something. But I want you to learn to live where you are in the meantime. And us as a community to learn to live well where we're at. That, I think, is, is God's word to us. Let's, let's praise him, yeah?